she's to, to March. She was texting me today talking about when I got pulled over. Y'all remember that? <laughs> so that's where she is right now in the, in the study when I got my first ticket and all that good stuff. So she's really doing good. But if you miss a week, you can go back and catch up um, because it's, it's good to have that tool there. So, so make use of it. But last week we ended with Jesus' rebuke uh, to the Sanhedrin. They knew in their hearts who Jesus was, and yet for fear of backlash or loss of a position, they refused to accept him as the Messiah. I made this statement that people would rather keep their position and live a lie rather than submit to Christ and walk in truth. And uh, that was true then, and it is definitely still true today. Uh, we see that in people's lives. I mean, people who do not accept Christ, that, that tells us they would rather live a lie to maintain their position in society, uh, their position as being in charge of themselves, uh, rather than submitting uh, to the Lord and walking in truth. And we see that day in and day out. So tonight we're going to start reading uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard, and set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant, that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him, and beat him, and sent him away. And again he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones, and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. What a powerful parable. Uh, and I'm sure uh, you can connect the dots, but tonight I'm going to break it down just a little bit. And as I always say something that's familiar to us, a lot of times the enemy can make a shutdown and think, oh, we know what this is talking about. We, we already have this. We, we've got it. But the Lord's word is new. It's fresh. And so don't let something that's familiar, don't let what the Lord has for you tonight slip away. Ask the Lord tonight, right now, to enlighten the eyes of your understanding that you may receive uh, truth 
from his word. So uh, now, just so you know, this was the first time that Jesus had spoken in parables in Jerusalem. We know uh, throughout our study in Mark um, that this was something that he did numerous times in Galilee. You can go back and look through the book of Mark, in fact, in all the Gospels, and you see how Jesus taught in Galilee, and he taught in parables. Parables are used uh, to present a truth in another way, in a way that they would understand. They wouldn't have any questions about it. Um, They are intended to bring the hearer to a point of a decision, meaning by the time Jesus got through speaking this parable, those who were around him knew what he was talking about, and they could either accept or reject. And don't you know, just as I said last week, God is so good, he is so gracious, he is so merciful, that there is not one person on the face of this planet that before they leave, heaven or hell is their home, they are brought to that fork in the road, whether they can receive or reject. He's not going to let one perish that doesn't first have the opportunity to accept or reject. Why? Because he's long-suffering. Why? Because he sent his son that not one would perish, but that all, that all could have everlasting life. It's a choice to make. That's how good God is. People will say all the time, well, I just don't know why the Lord took them so soon. Well, guess what? He knows things that we don't know. He knows when one gives their heart to the Lord, at that moment in time, that might be the only hour that they will truly serve him. And so the Lord knows he's got to take them before he turns his back. The Lord knows things. His ways are right. His ways are higher than our ways. They're not our ways, but they're always right, and we have to trust him. So Jesus' purpose in this parable was to accuse the religious leaders of Israel, even in the presence of the crowds, of being future murderers of the Messiah. He called them out. Don't forget, I said last week, uh, he ended with the... If there was a mic drop scripture, it would have been that scripture that he ended with last week. He says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is Mark 11, 33, We cannot tell. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he walked away. But he didn't leave where he was. He was probably standing on Solomon's porch at this time preaching to the crowds. He didn't leave. He was right there with them, those that he had just called out, those that he had just, just, I don't know. I mean, he meant business, and they knew it. But yet they couldn't leave it alone, and so they followed to where he was because they knew he was going to continue to teach truth. He was going to continue to teach the people. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of us today that when we get accused, when we're persecuted, and when I say that, it almost makes me sick to my stomach to think that we don't know persecution here yet to the level that others know and especially to the level that Jesus endured, and yet he made uh, the most of every opportunity that he had to teach the people truth. 
even though all the way back in Mark chapter 3, it starts, I mean, he knew from the time he came to this earth, he came to die on the cross, but that did not persuade him, that did not keep him from sharing truth. We've got to be that kind of people with with that kind of resolve that it doesn't matter. I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to stand for what's right. It doesn't matter if people like me, love me, hate me, want to kill me, want to shut me down, shut me up. It doesn't matter. What matters is that his truth is proclaimed. And we've got to be that kind of people. His purpose was to expose the true character of the hostility of the Sanhedrin. You know, they wanted to put on the face and make everybody think that they were religious and godly and and they knew the law and they were keeping the law. Um, That justified their actions, they thought. But Jesus most definitely did expose them. And I'm sure in that crowd today, people's eyebrows began to raise and they looked at the Sanhedrin, those that at one time they had gone to, they had looked to, for godly wisdom, godly advice. Have you had those people in your life before? And you know how it hurts your heart, and, and that's how I ended last week, as, the, as though this scripture, uh, it really wasn't a mic drop in the eyes of the Lord. It was his heart breaking for the ones he came to die for. You know, you, you, you had faith in someone, and you went to them at one time or another for godly wisdom, godly advice, and then you see them all of a sudden living a life contrary to the word, it breaks your heart. It absolutely breaks your heart. So I'm sure in the crowd that day, people were beginning to wise up and they were beginning to realize, wait a minute, these people, they don't even know who he is. They don't even see him as the Messiah. Who do they think they are? right? I mean, I want you to get to that place in your mind of where these people were. I want to break down verse 1 so that it makes sense. Um, I guess to kind of show you who the, and I don't like using this word, but who the characters are in this parable, Um, and then we'll get to the rest. But the man in verse 1 that it refers to who plants the vineyard is God the Father. That's who planted the vineyard. The vineyard itself is representative, symbolic of Israel. That's what he's talking about, Israel. The tenants were the religious leaders of Israel. The servants that were sent were the faithful prophets. And, of course, the beloved son was Jesus. So now when you go back, and I encourage you to go back after tonight and read this with that in mind, realizing, God, it was you who planted this vineyard. Right? I mean, you, you, it makes sense. The Lord begins to open it up to you, and that's exactly what he wants to do. You see, fruit was the issue of the last chapter. Remember, we talked about the fig tree. Um, the owner usually would get a third to a half of the produce from the, the vineyard. That's what was owed uh, to the, the planter, the owner. And it, wasn't, uh, it was also not uncommon for rent collectors to be treated badly. And uh, tonight, I know Matt and Beth aren't here, and those others maybe that have rental property. Um, a lot of times when you go to collect rent, you're not met always with smiling faces. Sometimes you get treated badly, and in those days, they got treated really bad. Um, time and again, God had sent prophets to Israel to gather fruit of repentance and righteousness, but his prophets were abused, wounded, 
and killed. Jeremiah 7, verses 25 and 26 says, Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. And I started thinking about the church today. What the church does today. What believers do today when the man or woman of God come on a platform. They spend hours maybe weeks, preparing a message. They seek the face of the Lord. They pour their heart into this. They present it to the people. And the people, in essence, spit on it. Have nothing. Yeah, okay. Well, you didn't really rile me up tonight. I didn't get a goosebump. I didn't want to shout. I didn't, you know, we, this is how we are. And we're talking about the word of Almighty God. And yet we can turn our nose up and walk away and act as if it was just another ordinary service, another ordinary social gathering. Shame on us. And I'm not just talking to us. I'm talking to the church. We spit on the things of the Lord. We, we step on them. We wipe our feet on them and act like it's no big deal. And if we truly realized what a treasure we have, what an honor, what a privilege it is, if we truly have met and faced persecution, trust me, our services would look a little different. It wouldn't take a five-point sermon and pianos and drums hyping the people up. When you would be allowed to just gather together with like-minded believers, you would begin to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Why? Because you can. You're allowed to. And I truly believe, and we've said it before, persecution is the last thing that, that I believe we're facing to truly see where the church stands. And, and, and some would say, oh, well, we're there. We're being persecuted. We had to shut church down. We had to do online services. You think that's persecution? When people are getting captured and decapitated? When they're getting fingers cut off, they're getting beaten beyond recognition, and we think because we had to do online services, that's persecution? That's nothing. That's nothing. We should be on our faces crying out to the Lord, interceding for those that are involved in the underground churches, those who are putting their lives on the line just to carry a, a page of the Bible. Women are being arrested in Arab countries at a, an alarming higher rate than men. Women Christians are being beaten, killed, thrown into prison. Their children being killed, taken from them. Horrible things are going on. The underground church in China, I've referenced it before, and if you haven't read it, come see me. I'll get you a copy of it, Tortured for Christ. You want to know where your relationship is with the Lord? Read that book. I read that book and thought, Lord, am I even saved? Because I don't tremble in your presence like I should. I don't 
fall on my face, Lord, when, you, when your spirit begins to move. We've become so hardened. We've become so selfish, so self-centered, that it takes a drum roll, a, a piano hype, whatever you call it, to move us. And just simply being able to gather together should be enough. And even if we don't get to gather together, just being with him, being able to go to him should be enough. It should be enough for us. Jesus' parable of uh, his prophets being abused was no exaggeration. In fact, in Hebrews eleven thirty-five through 38, he goes on, now this is New Testament, women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You want to talk about being persecuted. That's persecution, right? So here we have a sad rejection of God's messengers before the sad rejection of God's Son. See, they rejected the messengers that the Lord sent all throughout the Old Testament. And now they're getting ready to do the ultimate rejection and crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we still have the sad rejection of God's messengers. Some rejections are not just verbal. Some result in beatings and even death for some of God's messengers. And again, I'm referring to the underground church we need to be praying folks for them each and every day pray for our christian brothers and sisters all over the world we take it for granted oh we take it for granted but if we will begin to seek the face of the lord and ask the holy spirit to to stir our hearts we will find ourselves in prayer not praying about things that don't matter but praying about the things that do matter furtherance of the gospel that the Lord would be a hedge about these that are laying their lives on the line day in and day out I could talk about that forever but I'm gonna to go on it would be unheard of for the landowner to have been so patient in this text tonight we see the patience the long-suffering of the Lord that was unheard of but God would not turn his back on the world he continued sending servant after servant. That's persistent love. Even after they've beaten, even after they've killed, and, and, uh, and, and one of them, it says that they hit them in the head. And what that means is they wanted to stop the message that was being brought. You see, that's what the enemy always wants to do. He wants to stop the word of God from going forth, I, and I meant to have that link, and I totally forgot, but I've heard a testimony of a man. He was a pastor, and all of a sudden, he lost his voice. And you can hear it. I'll find it and give it. I'll put, post it on Facebook. And he was sick, and he couldn't talk. And, I mean, he could just barely talk like this. And he, it broke his heart because he loved to, to teach the Word. 
And one day in his Sunday school class, he had to step down from pastoring. So he went from pastoring to just being in a Sunday school class. And the Sunday school teacher just felt led for him to give his testimony. And so you hear him, they were recording the Sunday school class, and you hear him start to give his testimony. And you can barely understand what he's saying, but you can anticipate, you can feel just something rising up. He was getting excited that even though he had lost his voice, he hadn't lost the Lord, basically. But by the end of his testimony, and before he didn't even realize it, he was talking. He was talking, and you, he could, was understood and talked about how we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That even when things got hard, even when he lost his voice, he didn't stop telling, he didn't stop sharing the goodness of God. He said that when his voice couldn't do it, his life lived it out. And shouldn't that be our testimony? Shouldn't our life without words tell of the goodness of the Lord in our lives? We shouldn't have to open our mouths to convince somebody that we're Christians, that we're believers. They should be able to watch us and know that we serve the Savior, the creator of it all. God is good. He is faithful. God is persistent. I like this saying right here, and we can't understand that kind of love. We can't wrap our minds around it, but we're thankful for it. Amen. Martin Luther said, if I were God and the world had treated me as it treated him, I would kick the wretched thing to pieces. Because that's what we would do. We don't understand the love of God. How was God patient with you prior to your conversion, prior to you coming to the Lord. And how is God patient with you right now? How was he patient with you yesterday and the day before that? And even on Sunday mornings and on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights, he's patient with you because I want to tell you tonight, the Lord is wooing you. He's drawing you to himself. And he's patient with us because more times than not, we reject the drawing. We reject the wooing of the Lord. How do we do that? We don't respond because we don't feel anything. Well, I didn't feel, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel led. He died. He poured out his life's blood so that you and I could live with him for eternity. Is that not enough to draw us to our knees? to keep us on our face before the Lord. If that's not, I, I don't know what is. Nothing will ever be. Time and time again, he calls us. He beckons us to his side, and yet we still reject, despite the very fact that he saved our souls. That's, that's what we're turning our back on. Yeah, not tonight, Jesus. I'm just not feeling it. You might not say those words, but that's what you're saying with your actions, your reactions, or lack of. That's what we're saying to the Lord. Verses 6 through 8, we see plainly the love of God. See, Jesus stands in succession to the great prophets of old, but he is distinct. 
from him. Spurgeon says it like this, if you reject him, he always answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love manifest. Jesus is love manifest. They will respect my son. As if the father said, since heaven adores him, hell trembles at him, surely they will receive and reverence my son. Verse 7 tells of the crucifixion, which, keep in mind, was only three days away. That's what he was facing in three days was the crucifixion. Um, the verse says, but those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir. See, in this case, we're talking about the Sanhedrin. That's who this is referring to, uh, the ruling body of Israel. And the phrase, this is the heir, did you catch that? You know what that means? That means that these religious leaders recognized the Lord. They knew who he was. They recognized the Lord for what and who he was, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, and yet they rejected him. How did the religious leaders think they could kill the Lord of glory and not suffer horrifying consequences? I'll tell you how sin and rebellion against God warps your mind. The longer you rebel, the longer you reject, the longer you turn a deaf ear to the Lord, the longer you don't respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, it warps your mind until you can't think straight. See, sin and rebellion are extremely selfish acts. These individuals saw only their selfish desires. They wanted nothing and no one to interfere with their self-will, even God himself. They were willing to go to any lengths to ensure that their desires were met, even murdering the Son of God. Wow. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Always. And it doesn't start out horrible. It always starts out little. But then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger until one day, you don't even know right from wrong. That's how you can call evil good and good evil. And boy, do we see that today. That is a result of sin. See, the answer lies in deception, and Satan is deceived, and so are all of his followers, which include religious leaders of Israel as well as the religious leaders today. The phrase says, come, let us kill him. This, uh, we hear this in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Right? Their mind was so warped, they could not see him. For who he truly was. The reason the religious leaders of Israel did what they did, even with full knowledge of who Jesus was, is the same reason the whole world conducts itself today the way it does towards Christ. 
See, most people probably know that Jesus is the Son of God, even though they will not admit it. Right? They're being deceived. Unbelief concerning his redemption plan causes opposition. That's the greatest hindrance. Unbelief. Unbelief is what we're talking about. Verse 8 says, cast him out of the vineyard. God is dead. That's what they were saying. Cast him out. He's gone. He's dead. They killed him. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. See, in verse 8 we find the key. They claimed that everything was theirs. Remember last week when we talked about the, the major problem in the church is who's in charge, who has all the authority, who gets to make the decision, who gets to take the, the praise, who, who gets the pat on the back. Well, here again, we see it being played out right before our eyes. Jesus is showing them that's the problem. Their capacity to work, their output, their whole scene of their work, their life, their vineyard, they wanted credit for everything. They refused to give the Lord any credit. We've got to become a people that realize everything we have in our life is because of the Lord, because of his goodness. Where do you live? That's his vineyard. Where do you work? That's his vineyard. Where do you go on vacation? That's his vineyard. Everything that we are afforded in our life belongs to him. It's a result of him. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus was God's ultimatum. See, nothing remains when Christ is refused. One man said it like this, you put your finger in the eye of God when you slight his son. And when you reject his drawing, when you reject his word, that's exactly what you're doing. God, the greatest giver, and this is John 3:16. God, the greatest giver, so loved. And here we find the greatest motive, the world. The greatest need that he gave, the greatest act, his only son. The greatest gift that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes in him. The greatest opportunity should not perish. The greatest deliverance, but have eternal life. And that's the greatest joy that anyone could ever experience. Giving their life to Christ. Verse 9, we find the severity of the Lord. See, the leaders actually answered the question themselves, thus condemning themselves. Matthew 21 and 41, and I encourage you to write these scriptures down. If you didn't get them, come see me, and I'll give them to you afterwards. They said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto another husbandman, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. This, of course, was fulfilled only a few decades later when it was completely destroyed, when everything was completely destroyed. How can people say that hell isn't fair? How many times have you heard that? Well, it's just not fair. Hell's not fair. How can hell not make sense? They killed a father's one and only son. They killed him. How could one say that hell's not fair? God should have kicked this planet like a soccer ball out of the atmosphere. 
right? The question should have been, how can heaven make sense? How can any imperfect being, you and me, be invited to live in a perfect place? Don't say, how, can, how is hell not fair or unfair? Why, is, why did God create hell? He didn't create it for mankind. We choose to reject him, thus sending ourselves there. It's not his will that even one should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We think it's all about us. Me, me, me. We're so selfish. We can't get past ourselves. That's why the word continually, Paul, over and over and over again, reminded us that we have to die to ourselves daily. Because self wants to rule and reign. Flesh wants to rule and reign. And that does not work. We have to allow the spirit, the latitude to work in our lives. Our lives are not our own. When we give our hearts to the Lord. Verses 10 and 11, and I'm trying to hurry. This is the triumphs of God. See, Jesus now changes this parable from the vineyard to a building. Did you, did you see that? The picture is now of builders who throw aside uh, a stone, right, they, as they build, which turns out to be the vital, most vital part of the whole building. Have you ever done a puzzle before? Not one piece is missing. And oh my goodness, it drives you crazy. You look everywhere for it. I've torn up, I can't tell you how many toy boxes trying to find a puzzle piece to probably like a 25-piece puzzle, a stupid little puzzle, not like a big good one that Sister Gunner and Lynn do, them thousand-piece puzzles. I'm talking about a big, fat, chunky one. <laughs> Those are my kind of puzzles, right? Yeah, the wooden ones <laughs> that go in the place. But it's imperfect, right? And uh, a lot of times you don't see the, the necessity. And, oh, well, it's okay. No. That's the vital piece. And if we miss the vital piece, if we kick Jesus out, we kick him to the side and we don't invite him in, it's going to fall. We've got nothing. We've got nothing to stand on. We've got to have the cornerstone. Even though the, the builders rejected it, we've got to have it. I was reading the story of the Taj Mahal, and I really didn't even know the story behind it. But the, the story went, the guy wanted to build this for his wife. And it started out with her casket being in the middle of it. And they were building it all around it. But it took years to build the Taj Mahal. Little did he realize, like three or so years into it, you know, there was construction stuff everywhere. And he stumbled across a box and told him to throw it out. Several years later, he realized that was his wife. That was her casket that he just thought was... Nothing. Why? Because he got so caught up in the work. He got so, I was like, God, that's horrible. What kind of caskets did they use to bury people in? But he didn't realize. But that's true. That's what happened. He got caught up in the constructing. And I'm going to tell you, it happens a lot of times in church. We get so caught up in the building of our buildings and our ministries and, and our projects and all of these things that are good to begin with. 
But somewhere along the lines, we throw Jesus out. We kick him to the side. We forget about the calls. The reason why we even started the building in the beginning. Lord, let us not let that happen to us. Let us be focused. Let us be sensitive to your leading and your guiding. Let us not throw out the cornerstone. Because again, we can't make it without him. The title at the end of the message, have we set the Savior aside? Have we got so consumed with life and everything else that we forgot about why we are living? Because now as believers, our living is for him. It's for the Lord, for nothing else. So tonight, verse 12 shows us the grace of God, the final plea, one last chance for them to turn from their error of their way. This parable is a powerful demonstration of the love and patience of God. See, the owner's attention and care for the vineyard, he, he bought the land, he cleared the land, he prepared the soil. He even made provisions to keep wild animals and thieves out. He did everything, everything. He just wanted to be able to entrust it to them. So tonight, can he trust us? Can he trust us with his son? Can he trust us to bring him fruit from the vineyard? Meaning, can he trust us to do, to go ye therefore, to preach his word under the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring lost ones in, then to disciple them, to do what his words called us to do, to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to recover. To do all these things, can he trust us, or have we just set him aside and forgotten while we even started? Tonight, of course, first and foremost, this is about salvation. To come to the Lord. The ultimate rejection is not to receive the Lord. The ultimate rejection of the cornerstone is to say, I don't need you. But then, to those of us who are saved, to those of us who do believe, a lot of times we kick him to the side. We forget our calls. We get wrapped up in life. We get wrapped up in ministry. We just get wrapped up in doing good things even. But tonight the Lord wants to draw us back. He wants to remind us that we can do nothing without him. That he is our cornerstone. That he's everything that we have need of and that everything in our life that is good is because of him. He's a good father. He knows how to give his children good gifts. Everything that we need, he's already provided for us. So tonight as we stand, I'm just simply going to ask you to respond. To not wipe your feet on the word tonight, but to respond. To allow the Holy Spirit to draw your heart. Let him work in your life tonight the way he wants to work in your life. Because he's here and he wants to do just that. Vanessa, go ahead and play. Lord, I won't lie and say that I know you. 
Now that preacher up there He says that you love me But I've lived too wrong To ever be right Well, Lord, if you have me Then I surrender all Cause I need somebody To save me from my fall And Lord, won't you hear This poor sinner's prayer And save my soul From sin and despair Now it's been a while Many years I know Since I said that prayer And you say my soul In times
our need for the Savior, Lord, and I thank you for tonight, God, that as your word's going forth, Lord, you've searched our hearts, you've brought things to our mind, you've brought things to the surface, Lord, and I pray that tonight that not one leave this house, Lord, without first laying it at your feet, Lord, so that you can take it, God, so that you can do with it what you will, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your promises. I thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. May we never take it for granted, and when we do, that your Holy Spirit convict us, Lord. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for everything that we have tonight. We give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, don't forget, uh, pick up for Boston Bucks Friday and Saturday, and then after Saturday at 2, um, if you don't have anything to do and like to hang around and suck up dust and do some cleaning back there, we'll be here. So you're welcome to do that. If not, we'll see you on Sunday. Uh, looking forward to it. Bring somebody with you. <laughs>